Alrighty, guys. Welcome back. How has everybody been since the past episode? That was fun, wasn't it? That was so much fun. Oh my god. We did go a little off the rails, though, at the end. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Like, it was bad. <laughs> hey, Oppenheimer. God damn it. Hey, Oppenheimer. Don't do this to me. I'm coming for you. He's dead. I know where you are. He's dead. Leave him alone. No. I hate this man. Anyway. I am at least semi-aware of this man's crimes. Not completely. And I imagine that's This what... man is a crime. This <laughs> man is a crime. Everything this man done, has done, crime. Full crime. Anyways. So... How are you guys doing? How was your two weeks? Did you miss us? Probably not. I missed you. I missed you. I missed you too. I wasn't talking to you. I wasn't talking to you either. Oh, okay. You know what? <laughs> Ow. That hurt. I hope you all are doing well. I'm happy that you made it through the last two weeks. I'm sorry for the emotional damage. Um, Bells is currently trying to eat my toes. And my laptop cable. As he is wont to do. I honestly... <laughs> my cable's wet. <laughs> Ew. I don't know where Patches is, and I'm kind of sad by it. I don't know that she's in here right now. She might have toggled off somewhere. Probably. I did leave the door open when I went to go get food. I am eating again, by the way. I'm eating yogurt this time. Yes. Again, for those of you who have listened to this this far and not realized, we are... I've eaten every single episode a different meal. First episode was... Orange chicken and rice. Uh, mm -hmm. Second episode was uh, uh, pesto chicken with cheese, rice, and broccoli. Mm -hmm. And this episode, I am eating strawberry yogurt with uh, granola and freeze-dried strawberries. Mm -hmm. I have been snacking here and there. Um, on Oreos. On Oreos and the tears of mythos. Thank you for that one. I appreciate Joking. We are awake. We are jazzed. And about halfway through, we will get into a very silly, goofy mood. But I'm eating constantly for my feelings because I cried about two hours ago. I am sorry about that still. And I even posted a public apology and everything. And it was denied. denied mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't public manner. I don't forgive you. To I will never forgive you. You agreed to start this podcast with me even before we started dating. Oh, I Okay, listen, that was a long time ago. Okay. Yeah, it was a younger really mythos. Long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> younger mythos and I, we we we're gonna talk. I'm gonna close the door while Bells is out. And mythos has returned from war. Speaking of war, I'm going first this episode. <laughs> oh dear God! And <laughs> so we gotta put some banter in the front here. We gotta yeah. we gotta do a little banter in the front here. Yeah, because funny story. Um. I got my notes done for this episode like a long ass time ago. And just because of the nature of our jobs and how busy we've been, um, Mythos did not finish their notes until... Hey, what? I didn't agree no. to be outed. No, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've had... I'm outing you because I have more knowledge going in than I did the other two. That's fresher because of the just little tidbits you've shared with me. So it's not that I'm outing you. 
for not getting your notes done um because they're done and i'm proud of you i'm just you can't out me while i'm in the middle of shoving yogurt in my face well maybe you should shove yogurt in your face faster so you can defend yourself better look i work a lot you do and i'm like genuinely i am very thankful because unfortunately while we both do work full-time my full-time looks a lot different than mythos's full-time and it's hard sometimes man being chronically ill and disabled is not fun at all. Actually, oh, Patches looks so upset with me. I'm getting the angry eye. Oh no, I'm stalling. You are because you don't. Because unfortunately, Mythos has the honor of beginning the episode, which means I'm the palate cleanser. It's a rough one. I'm really not looking forward to it. When I was researching this. Uh, it was one of those uh, cases where I I kind of realized how bad it can get recording-wise. I'm not looking forward to this. I'm really sorry about the information that I have to give you all. To be fair, a heads up before we go in, little disclaimer. First of all, this episode, at least my section of it, is going to be pretty gruesome. I did not hold back on a lot of details because I felt like it was really important to know. It is about a situation that most people know about, but I don't think people understood the gravity of it. There are lighter notes in the episode, but when it gets dark, it gets dark. But when it gets light, it gets light. And actually, there's one instance. I keep laughing about it because it's so fucking funny. But there's one instance in this in this story that I literally have laughed about four separate times. Completely out of nowhere because it's so funny to me. Can you tell that I'm tearing up? Yeah. All right. Like you're like, and I feel like doing this I start episode. to sound really when I'm yeah. tearing up. I'm it's it death in any capacity really hits me hard because i really really feel it and i it's just not a great feeling to have and this unfortunately my story covers a lot of death yeah a a, a it's a i mean let's be honest it's a it's a slaughter it's a full slaughter of people so it's not fun i feel like we probably should have waited a bit longer to do this episode because it is a direct because we are batch recording this will be directly after the episode where i talk about um felicitas and her crimes where i broke down crying mm -hmm. yeah it's okay we will get there this episode makes me more angry than anything else um which is why i say again oppenheimer oppenheimer i'm in your walls he's dead i'm in your walls oppenheimer i'm coming for you He's dead. I'm in your ghost walls. I'm in your goddamn walls. I'm in your goddamn walls. I'm so fucking tired. Okay. Let me have a little side tangent here before we get started. Oh, no. Here Here's something that I'm really okay. mad about. Go ahead. This is courtesy of one person on TikTok whose name I don't remember, and I did not fact check this. But if this is true, I'm mad about it. That whole Oppenheimer quote, I am become death. No. I think I got this from a Hank Green video. I, I might him. have. Oh, I am very loud. Hold on. I trust him. Everyone talks about how, and, and this will sound pertinent to people when you realize that we're filming this in September, or recording this in September, and Barbie and Oppenheimer, Barbieheimer, just released a little bit ago. We saw Barbie. We did not go see Oppenheimer, because I don't give a shit about American propaganda. Here's why. I mean, fair enough. Tell me Oppenheimer wasn't American propaganda. I fucking dare you. I never said it was. Anyway. I still want to watch Film Cooper's video on it, though. Oh, my God. Film Cooper's so good. 
we the, one of our wanna, favorite YouTubers. If you, if you want to watch a good boy say dumb things, he's watch such his a stuff. himbo. Like genuinely, it's sorry, he needs I'm a he needs he needs a he needs a milf. He, he fully needs a milf or a delf. He said he's open to either. He needs an ilf. <laughs> he needs a I'd like to fuck. <laughs> I feel like people forget that the ilf part of delf and milf is I'd like to fuck. That I'd like to fuck. Yeah. Mom, I'd like to fuck. Anyway. I saw in a hankering video and I either watched it when I was researching this or I saw it on a TikTok because of Barbie Hammer. 100%. But everyone was talking about how Oppenheimer's I am become death was him saying that he realized that he created something that could kill a bunch of people and he felt terrible. That's bullshit. Listen, the quote, I am become death, is from a Indian? I don't know the religion. I think it's Hindu? Question mark? I haven't researched a lot about that country, so I, pardon me. You will eventually. I will I eventually. Case, I have a case that's directly out of India that's not coming up soon, but that I really want to do. We'll get we'll get there. Um, it's not one of my special interest countries. It's absolutely gorgeous and it's beautiful and I love it. It's not one of my special interest countries. I'm very sorry. It is beautiful though. Anyway, the quote comes from a mythos about a god. Um, it, he it, the god says it when he takes on his uh, lion form and. He says that, and it basically means that when Oppenheimer said it, it meant two things to him. One, he has created something that makes him feel like a god. He has basically become god. And two, he has now turned into something that scares his opponents. He has now become the fear for people. It's not that he regretted what his bomb could do, because he was fully aware of what it could do, and... Actually, no, worse than that, he wasn't fully aware of what his bomb could do. He did not know what would happen when he dropped it. They tested it, but they did not know the devastation it would have on people when he dropped it. That's worse somehow. He did not feel guilty for what he did. He did it on purpose. He made this thing on purpose, knowing what it could do to people. And when they dropped the bombs, they did not care. Jumping into our story, today I'm talking about kaiju. Okay, <laughs> so question, mm-hmm. because I am right now. Uh, hold on, can you hear me clearly? Yep. Okay, because I'm like registering very quietly. Uh, because I am the audience stand-in, um, how do the two relate? Because I heard I, this. I got too much yogurt. <laughs> Did that mean you spilled the yogurt? No, it's just too much for my tummy. Too much yogurt. What do I do? Well, you're the only one who eats it. You can put it back. There's not enough to put it back. Okay, so stick it in the fridge. I don't want to. There's no room. Fair enough. I could. I could take it. Do you want it? Give me yogurt. I would. I I would like a snack. Yeah, take it. Yeah, all of this is getting cut up. Well, obviously the stuff that identifies us. Yeah, but I don't think you wanting my yogurt identifies you. That's fair. Um, the fact that I want yogurt de-identifies me. <laughs> and now you eat it every morning. I, so yeah, because it's, it's an easy snack for me to make that requires no cooking. And I don't have to think about it. It's two ingredients. And you make fun of me for it still somehow. No, okay. You make fun of me because I like yogurt on the side of my granola. You like granola with a light 
light coating of yogurt that is how you like your yogurt and i will relentlessly mock you for it every second i get because fuck dude i don't know what the normal ratio of yogurt to granola is but i think my ratio makes perfect sense eat it and tell me it's not good go ahead put a bite in your mouth and tell me that it's not the perfect ratio it's it's not but okay are you eating it yeah are you actually Mm-hmm. okay Anyway, because I am the audience stand-in, uh-huh. how the fuck does Oppenheimer and Kaiju relate? I'm so glad you asked. Okay. Are you ready? Hell yeah. I'm going to like mute myself and unmute myself as I eat. In the late German period, between 2470 and 1250 BC, legend tells of an attack on the southern, the southwestern Honshu area of Japan. Eyewitness accounts and art formed from the area depicting the attack describe something straight out of a modern horror movie. A heat that vaporized people instantly, buildings torn down to ashes in a second. There was no time to react, no time to run, no time to hide. Victims near the attack were burned on the outside and their insides were melted instantly. Days after the attack, victims began to suffer from a sickness that formed purple spots on their skin. Any cuts to the skin would result in large amounts of blood loss. Hair began to fall out in large chunks and parts of the body began to rot away on living people. People of medicine had no idea what the illness was at the time and were unable to heal them. And the fact that it seemed a majority of the people of medicine were killed in the attack, there was not much that could be done anyway. Food and water in the area also appeared to be poisoned, speeding up the process of death for anyone who ate or drank the food. In desperate attempts to survive, people began to consume any black sludge that poured from the sky, only to discover that it was human remains mixed with water. Um, thank you so, so much for giving me yogurt right before you read that. But the yogurt's no. pink. <laughs> yes, but I can't separate the two anymore anyone who was unfortunate enough to look at the creature when it attacked were blinded instantly and would never regain eyesight women who were near the attack suffered a high rate of miscarriages and children that were born suffered many birth defects a surviving account of the attack said i remember the horror of the day blinding light like thousands of strobe lights my body thrown to the ground Survivors wrote to generations in the future to turn their attention to destroying the beast that attacked. That would be the only way to find peace. An absolutely gruesome attack by a beast that killed thousands of people. People also that weren't even from this area instantly. And it lasted for generations, the trauma that it caused. Holy shit. I'm not going to cry. Unfortunately... I have just lied to you because this did not happen between 2470 and 12 BC. This happened in 1945 in Japan. This is a retelling of the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. The first and only time that nuclear bombs have been used on citizens. This is the recounting of the horrible things that happened to those people and how the Japanese people coped with the inability to speak about what they had witnessed by creating the first ever kaiju, Godzilla. <sighs> I'm okay, I promise. I need a second. You are a wonderful storyteller. Just straight, like, while you're taking a second, you wrote that extremely well. Holy shit. 
I don't, like, there are no words to say that if that is how it's being introduced, I am fully terrified of what is to come. And I think I might join your fuck Oppenheimer train by the end of this. I mean, it's not that I wasn't already on it. I just... I don't think people know the details of how bad it was. Because I it was briefly mentioned in history class, at least to me. And I think if I had actually been told how devastating it was, um, I would have had a lot stronger opinions about this a lot sooner. Yeah, well... We already know that the American education system is heavily flawed and geared towards making America look brilliant no matter the situation. Because a lot of people don't even know that we had the Japanese internment camps. That comes up later. Yeah, surprise. Guess what, guys? America had concentration camps, too. I want to start this episode, at least my section of it, with a quote that I think completely sums up why I'm telling the stories that I do. This is a quote from a woman who survived the bombings. She did the entire interview in Japanese with a translator. This was the only sentence that she said in English. She said, please make many friends with other countries. When you do so, you are moving the world towards peace. And here we are with the situation with Ukraine and Russia gearing up to be Bad. <laughs> terrifying consequences i that quote fuck man how are My, we how are we still in the same place over 60 years later i don't know over 80 years later over 80 years later and we're still fucking here i know i think this quote sums up perfectly why i tell these stories i think it is absolutely important for us to know more about other cultures and other people and have an idea of what they've been through and the way that they tell stories. I think when we understand each other more, we are more likely to become friends with each other. When we know stories and are vaguely familiar, even even just vaguely familiar with other cultures and their stories and their customs and their practices, you realize that they are not that different from your own. It is much harder to hurt someone when you understand them and see so much of yourself in them. And that's why I want to do this. That's why I wanted to start this with Psychos is I wanted to build a bridge for people to understand other people. And maybe the world won't be a little, the world will be a little less foreign and a little less unknown. And maybe, just maybe, people will be more likely to make friends and move the world towards peace. I did not think I was going to be the crybaby of or this podcast, but here we are. Uh, okay, well, to be fair, it is very hard to not be emotional when you're talking about the immediate death of thousands of people. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's very hard not to be emotional in general because we do not really give this podcast or our listeners really time to ease into the heavy shit. We hit the heavy shit straight out the gate. And I think it's better that we hit it now and show that this is stuff that we genuinely like do think and care about deeply versus 
weeks or months into this and we are just now getting to topics that really like trigger this reaction yeah it's the passion man it really is and i'm very happy that we were finally getting a go-ahead on this because we have been trying to do this for so long we just haven't had the stars weren't aligned right yeah anyway so i'm gonna start with the history as i usually do i initially looked into this because um psychos loves pacific rim pacific rim is one of my favorite fucking movies of all time we don't talk about the sequel the sequel doesn't exist what the fuck is a sequel i just learned about the sequel you saying it just now but um, okay what's a sequel what are you talking about i have no idea what you're on about anyway so i had requested a story from psychos that i love and we'll we don't have to mention that we'll talk about later but in return i wanted to do an episode on kaiju i was just going to talk about the history of kaiju and where they came from um, unfortunately, immediately upon searching up kaiju, I discovered what it was about. And I, this is probably going to be something that I will revisit because I just did a very, very brief research um, session on this. As far as the details, I will probably come back to this because it deserves a lot more intense research. But I started it and I didn't have time to pick something else. I tried. I did. I really tried because I couldn't handle it anymore. But here we are. Also, just a heads up, Patches is right next to me on the chair and she is sleeping. So if you hear tiny little cat snores, mind your own fucking business. Enjoy the cat. Enjoy the free cat snores. Alrighty. So we are going to start off with, um, I did not do a lot of history into the start of World War II, nor did I do a lot of history research into the U.S. side of it. Uh, In fact, I tried to avoid talking about the U.S. at all outside of the necessary parts. So I did not do research into the bomb. Um, I mean, I did do research into the bomb. I did not include that research because I wanted to focus more on the cities and the victims. I did not want to focus on the bomb because I felt like talking about the bombs too much because there were two of them, two different types. Talking about the bombs too much, I felt like was trying to give a hand to the ingenuity of American murderers, and I didn't want to do that. So, of course, general... Rule of thumb being said, the Japanese did have a hand in some major atrocities during the war. But at oh, they committed point, war crimes during the bombing, but it's fine. <laughs> but at this point in time, we are focusing on the victims of this specific story. And it just so happens to be the Japanese people of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Not just Japanese. There were um, American prisoners of war and a small Korean and Chinese population there as well that I also wanted to mention too. So Yeah, so we're focusing more on them. I will personally cover some of Japan's war crimes at a later date, mm-hmm. but that's just to show that we're not there that aren't... biased. I'm also sorry that we're doing Japan twice, <laughs> right now, but it's fine. Well, here's the thing: mine doesn't take place in Japan. So yeah. the theme here is the ocean, because in my mind, kaiju came out of the ocean mm-hmm. in Pacific Rim, and they—I mean, Godzilla also came out of the ocean. So mysteries from the deep—that's the theme of the episode. That's going to be a great episode title, Mysteries from the Deep, part one. So we are going to start with um, just some of the attacks on Japan that I could find. Um, so I do not know much about World War II. I memorized World War One history. And also uh, I played Medal of Honor Vanguard, you fight against Nazi Germany. Oh, sick. Um, so that was World War Two, actually, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I played no. Vanguard and Rising Sun. 
I played Medal of Honor Vanguard and Rising Sun, which took place in World War II, and that's all I know. So there you go. I'm eating my words actively. Anyway, I'm stalling. So we're just going to jump right into it. I do eventually get, obviously, to the bombings of Hiroshima or Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But also, Nagasaki takes a wild turn. Just a heads up. I realize that I actually explained this to my manager, but not to you. So I'm sorry. Um, oh, so the manager who... The manager who helped name this? Yeah, she knows too much now. <laughs> oh, oh, cool. So we're just going to have to... I'm sorry. I'm going to pay for her therapy bill. Um, oh, God. <laughs> So. See, I'm glad you went there because my brain was like, oh, no, now we have to dispose of her body. And I was like, wait a minute. We can't say that. We can't do that. That's anyway, illegal. So um, we're going to jump into the bombing of Tokyo uh, because they actually bombed a bunch of fucking places. But this bombing, I feel like, was really important and needed to be talked about as well. So the Doolittle Raid happened um, in April of 1942 using strategic and urban area bombing starting November 17th, 1994, and ending uh, August 15th of 1945. So I'm assuming it was planned in 1942 and started in 1944. Um, Strategic and urban just being they bombed cities with large amounts of populous areas, um, and they strategically bombed certain areas that would just fuck over the city. The bombings cut the city's output in half. As far as what they were able to make and do, if that gives you any idea of how bad it was. Modern analysts have called the raid a war crime due to the fact that the U.S. specifically bombed civilian infrastructure, houses, apartments, hospitals, shopping areas. They didn't go for any military or government official areas. Which, technically speaking, isn't that what Russia is heavily doing right now? Cool, cool, cool. Anyway, the this specific raid itself, uh, there wasn't much information about it, but it didn't do much to Japan's war capabilities, um, but it was a huge propaganda win for the U.S. to be able to brag about the fact that they did so much damage to Tokyo really spurred on U.S. soldiers. So I'm glad that civilian mass murder really gets the American blood going. I mean, yeah, you look at like anything in American history and... Once a bunch of civilians die, that really gets ye old white men in charge really going. Oh, it gets worse. Oh. Operation Meeting House was March 9th to the 10th uh, in 1945, and it was the single most destructive bombing raid in human history. 16 square miles of central Tokyo were completely destroyed. Roughly 100,000 civilians died and over 1 million were homeless. Holy fuck. 334 B-29s dropped 279 bombs onto Tokyo. Within the first two hours of the raid, 226 of the aircrafts had released all of the bombs they carried onto the city to overwhelm the fire defenses. Because um, cities at the time... This is a really bad side tangent. Have you seen Nightmare Before Christmas? How is this related? Have you seen Nightmare Before Christmas? obviously i'm do you remember the fucking thing that shot him out of the sky oh shit yeah those were airstrike defense guns from world war ii god jack skellington flew over the u.s in world war ii that's not the hot take i expected out of this i'm not 100 percent certain that's correct but um given some of the stuff that was going on in the um 
like the households the way they looked you know shitty um i'm assuming this was world war ii era so anyway i mean yay no, I but got, if you've seen that if you've seen that if you've seen it before christmas and you've seen the gun that shot jack out of the sky that's basically what they had but they were designed to shoot missiles and bombs out of the sky and also um planes out of the sky they basically dropped so many bombs that the guns couldn't keep up they cut a massive x pattern through tokyo's working class district fuck i forgot that i didn't tell you any of this i told our manager this yeah what the fuck and then the rest of the bombs were aimed anywhere near that giant x the U.S. Strategic Bombing Survey established nearly 88,000 people. 88,000 people died within uh, 41,000 injured. However, the Tokyo Fire Department established 97,000 people were killed and 125,000 were wounded. So um, pretty much over double uh, were uh, wounded with about seven to ten 9,000 people underreported by the U.S. And just to give you an idea, this this bombing of Tokyo was like the U.S. playing with their food. It literally was an X marks the spot. Like, that was... Hmm? I have no fucking words. I'm so fucking angry. I know you cannot see me right now because we have the screen up. Mm-hmm. But fuck. I know. On to Hiroshima. Or Hiroshima. Hiroshima got most of the damage uh, compared to Nagasaki, but Nagasaki was actually, a, I think, a more strategic uh, bombing. So we'll get there. Anyway, so a little bit about Hiroshima. Hiroshima was originally a small fishing village. Its city flower is oleander, which I don't know what that looks like, but I'm sure it's great. And the tree is the camphor or camphor laurel. What is oleander? It's a, I know it's a poisonous flower, but it's so pretty. Like most poisonous oh, it is are. It's very pretty. The capital of Hiroshima, it's the, um, I don't know if it's the prefecture or the district, but the uh, city Hiroshima is also the name of the area that it's in. It was founded in 1589. So it was, uh, the, the city was verified as a city in uh, that time. Mm-hmm. Or no, sorry, I lied. Um, it was founded in 1589 as a castle town on the Ota River Delta. In 1868, it was transformed into an urban center and industrial hub. It became an official city in 1889, and it was a military center. I didn't add this in, but it had the majority of the factories um, for Mitsubishi metal and stuff like that, Mitsubishi steel. Mm. As far as a strategic bombing location, um, this city was of industrial and military significance. It was a supply and logistics base for the Japanese military, a communication center. It was also a port city for shipping and an assembly area for troops. Most of the houses and buildings in the area, however, were made of timber, uh, wood. So they were very prone to fire damage. The population just before the bombing was around 381,000, but it was steadily decreasing due to a systematic evacuation order by the Japanese government. At the time of the attack, the population was down to around 340 to 350,000. So not a lot lower than I wish it was, um, but it was cleared out. This is the part that broke my heart, returning to you know, how Japanese were treated during World War II. Mm-hmm. Residents of Hiroshima were unsure why their city hadn't been air raided yet. 
and it was assumed that either the city would be turned into the headquarters for the U.S. occupation after the war, or their relatives in Hawaii and California had petitioned the U.S. government to avoid Hiroshima. Which probably means that they had no idea what was happening to Japanese people. No, they wouldn't have. Nobody... Because here's the thing. I didn't know... Like, I was in AP U.S. History in high school Uh and the internment camps were literally one sentence in a column about world war ii it was not touched on at all and very few people actually know about it that like even in america itself that i'm not surprised that they didn't realize that what was happening to their relatives Because nobody fucking talked about it. Nobody fucking knew about it. And I could be very wrong about this because my knowledge on this is very limited. I do believe those actually continued after the war for a good little bit. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm actually looking into the camps because I've I've never looked into it. So I'm just going to read the very first part of the wiki page just so everyone has a rough idea. During World War II, the United States forcibly relocated and incarcerated at least 125,284 people of Japanese descent in 75 identified incarceration sites. Most lived on the Pacific coast in concentration camps in the western interior of the country. Approximately two-thirds of the inmates were U.S. citizens. These actions were initiated by President Franklin D. Roosevelt via executive order 9066 following the Imperial Japan's attack on Pearl Harbor. Of the 127,000 Japanese Americans who were living in the continental U.S. at the time of the attack, 112,000 resided on the West Coast. A good bit of them were second and third generation uh, Japanese people. Japanese Americans were placed in concentration camps based on local population, concentrations, and regional politics. More than 112,000 Japanese Americans who were living on the West Coast were incarcerated in camps which were located on its interior. In Hawaii, which was under martial law, where more than 150,000 Japanese Americans comprised over one-third of the territory's population, only 1,200 to 1,800 were incarcerated. California defined anyone with one-sixteenth or more Japanese lineage as a person who should be incarcerated. Colonel Carl... I can't say his name. I can't say his last name. I literally can't pronounce it. Went as far as to say that anyone with one drop of Japanese blood qualified for incarceration. Uh, These camps started in February 19th of 1942 and they ended March 12th, 1946. And if you are keeping up with the dates that I mentioned earlier, that means that these camps were still in effect a year after Japan surrendered to the U.S. I know I keep sighing and just saying fuck, but legitimately, what the fuck else is anybody supposed to say to this beyond that? Because there is, I, I know, I want to rip my own hair out, I want to scream, I want to curse, but at this point, the damage has already been done, and all we can do is work to make it up to Japanese American citizens. Mm-hmm. Because what the fuck? So the death toll seems pretty low to me. It said that it was less than 2,000 people um, were murdered in these camps. um, And only seven of them were by homicide. But I think that's a load of bullshit. Um, America has no problem with hiding their own atrocities. 
If they cannot be openly separated, they will be openly hidden. Anyway, August 6th, uh, 1945, at 8.15 a.m., Little Boy, the bomb with uranium-235 was dropped. The B-29, and for anyone who's listening, B means Boeing fucking airlines. The B-29 that dropped the bomb was named Enola Gay after the pilot's mother and was joined by two other crafts. The great artiste that carried instrumentation and a craft later named, I shit you not, Necessary Evil, which was the photography aircraft. Okay. The bomb's original target was the Ioi Bridge, but missed by 800 feet and detonated directly over the Shima Surgical Clinic. This bomb was considered ineffective as only 1.7% of the material fissioned. So I don't know what would have happened if more than that. That's what I'm saying. This, this bombing, by Oppenheimer standards, was considered a failure because it didn't react all the way. <sighs> the radius of total destruction was one mile. And the resulting fires were 1.4 square miles. Survivors recount not knowing what happened at first, walking through the ruins and seeing people begging for help that had been trapped and crushed under rubble. Then the fire swept through, burning alive anyone trapped and causing people to jump into the river for safety, many of whom drowned. Many survivors appeared uninjured only to die hours later from the radiation sickness. Um, this will become a lot harder to process in a few minutes. I'm already having a very hard time processing this. I am so fucking angry. I have no fucking words. And that is when... Because usually I can't... Usually you have something to say. So when you're angry beyond words, it hurts. <sighs> okay. Over 90% of doctors and 93% of nurses were killed or injured in, in the bombing. By afternoon... Remember, this happened at, like, what, 8 o'clock in the morning? A hospital had been established and a morgue was formed in a library. Survivors of the blast gathered for help, but many died before treatment, leaving behind rings of corpses around the hospitals. People literally died waiting in line. This is the part that really hurt. The Tokyo control operator noticed the, Hiro the Hiroshima station had gone off the air and tried to establish contact for 20 minutes before realizing the telegraph line had stopped working. It took three hours for one of the people from the Tokyo control operator station, um, the, the Tokyo control station, sent a, a person down there to fly down there. It took three hours for that plane to reach Hiroshima land and then contact tokyo and tell them that the city had been destroyed wait for it they were not informed until 16 hours later by an announcement of the strike by president truman that the damage came from a new type of bomb which so they means had no fucking idea what was going on but also consider no one had ever dropped anything nuclear before no one knew what radiation sickness looked like. They literally had no idea what was wrong with them. People died of an illness. They did not understand. They felt fine. And because I listened to that 20-hour book on Chernobyl, these people 
literally melted from the inside out. Their skin turned purple and crusted and fell off. They were vomiting nonstop. They were losing their eyesight and their ears, their their hearing, their ear sight. <laughs> they were losing their <laughs> eyesight and their hearing. And this is this isn't over the this, the, the people in Chernobyl died over the course of days. But these people died over the course of hours because they were, I mean, they basically were standing in Chernobyl when it exploded is basically what happened here. These people died slowly in excruciating pain with their skin literally peeling off of their bodies. And they didn't even know what nuclear radiation was. Nuclear radiation from a bomb like this, they they didn't even know what it was. They figured it was a bomb when it fell, but they had no idea what nuclear they had no idea what radiation sickness was. They didn't know. No one knew. Okay. Since the bombing, Hiroshima has become the largest city in the Chugoku region. It's still a major city. Um, there is a building that still stands that survived the bombing. Photos of the bombing um, show women with the pattern of their kimonos printed into their skin in areas where the kimono was tightly fitted around them. Other photos show the city completely leveled, an urban city completely leveled to the ground. Um, There are photos of the bodies completely swollen and putrefied on the side of the road. There's also photos of people waiting in line to get help. Um, most of those people probably died a few hours later. Nagasaki, which means long cape. This, we can poke a little fun at this. This is the palate cleanser in the middle because this f- fucking city has a weird history. I didn't tell you this. I told our manager this. I'm so sorry for the information I'm about to tell you. Okay. Pause for a second. Hi, if you're still here and you're still listening and you haven't take, take a second. Out, let's take a second to breathe. Let's all take a second to breathe. Um, drink some goddamn water. Fuck man. Um, trying really hard not to cry right now. It's not fun. It's not, and neither is what you're talking about. <laughs> it is going to be very rare. That myth who's does these types of things. I didn't want to do this. <clears throat> but also consider that the lady that we heard that quote from in the beginning survived the bombing. There was also a story of a man who was from Hiroshima, was in the bombing, traveled home to Nagasaki, and was there when that city got bombed too. Fucking hell, dude. <laughs> Which, I like, mean, he I'm lived. S- but that's some shitty luck. I mean... Somebody was trying to take his ass out. I'm sorry. Somebody was desperately trying to fuck her ass. <laughs> dude. Some god is just like looking at this dude like you. You need to go. <laughs> okay, that's horrible to say cuz I'm sure this man is like was like doubly traumatized and didn't know what was going on and probably oh, yeah. like definitely internalized that shit cuz we all would. But fuck. I'm so sorry. Shall we keep chugging along? We're halfway through. But the bad stuff ends soon. We get to talk about Godzilla after this. 
Oh I watched the movie Godzilla for the first time and I only got like halfway through, but damn, it's good. Yeah, we go. But like knowing what we know that it's based off of, hearing the roar. I is... now you know. Fucking because I played it for you. I had you yeah. listen to it. But I... knowing I think probably listening to this put it in a different perspective for you. Because I've told you bits and pieces about it, but I hadn't told you the gravity of how bad it got. No, you didn't. And in the background you can hear patches licking herself and making her bell jingle oh to be patches right now patches was like curled up against my leg for the longest time and anytime i moved she would like glare up at me bells has been kicked out for war crimes against my laptop charger yeah i'm waiting for the moment that patches decides to turn traitor against either my headphones again or (laughs) my mic cable patches chewed up Psychos's headphones. Okay, we don't know. If it, we don't know if it was patches. Yes, we do. Okay, <laughs> Let's but you be also real. thought you yes, thought it do. was you thought it was bells too. So don't even. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um. Anyway, both yeah, both bells and patches have a habit of going after headphone cables in particular, which is why I normally use wireless. But you can't really use wireless with a mic, so we had to go out and buy a pair last minute. Nagasaki, you ready? Yeah. No, this one is an app And like I said, it has a wild history. Nagasaki City is the capital of the Nagasaki Prefecture, located on the island of Kyushu. It was the only port used for trade with the Portuguese and the Dutch. It quickly grew into a very diverse port city, and Portuguese products were assimilated into Japanese culture. I'm really sorry for anyone who's hearing this for the first time, but tempura is not originally Japanese. It's actually from the Portuguese. And it was. You told me about this. Yeah. Um, I don't remember how to pronounce this in Portuguese, but thanks to my experience in Latin, it means fish from the garden um, and is a Portuguese recipe. And if you look it up, it looks exactly like tempura. Also, that really dense, like, sweet bread, um, that really thick one that uh, Japanese people make, uh, that's also Portuguese. It's a Portuguese dessert bread. Um, because of the Portuguese influence, the city became a Jesuit colony during the Sengoku period because the Jesuit leader, Alexandro, I've never tried to pronounce his last name and I'm not going to, uh, created a plan Fair to enough, take man. over. <laughs> he created a plan to take over the Society of Jesus rather than let the non Catholic um, Buddhist monks take over. It became a refugee for Christians escaping mistreatment in other regions of Japan. However, in 1580, I wrote it in all caps. So, however, in 1587, the second great unifier Toyotomi Hideyoshi or Hideyoshi, I don't know, ordered the ex- expulsion of all missionaries and placed the city under his direct control after concern for the large Christian influence uh, grew. The expulsion wasn't taken too seriously, and the city remained openly Catholic for a very long time. In 1596, the flagship named San Felipe wrecked off the coast of Nagasaki, and it was discovered from the captain of the ship that there was a plan to invade Japan. Hideyoshi ordered the uh, crucifixion of 26 Catholics in Nagasaki. Later in 1614, Catholicism was officially banned and all missionaries were ordered to leave. Japanese and foreign Christians were executed by public crucifixion um, and burned at the stake. Unrelated, the Great Fire of Nagasaki destroyed most of the city in 1663. That's all I have on that. 
the fuck does that mean? <laughs> That's it. Now we're going to get into the bombing. This is a wild ride. In 1859, Nagasaki became a treaty port, and in 1889 became the center of the Roman Catholicism uh, movement in Japan. It became the center for heavy industry and shipbuilding. During the time of the bombing oh my god is this the place that had the mitsubishi steel i might have gotten those mixed up i think this is the place for the mitsubishi steel i didn't actually put that in my notes i guessed anyway moving on during the time of the bombing um it was an important industrial city 90 percent of the workforce of the city either worked on the port or in factories that supplied you know materials that would enter and leave the port and it accounted for 90 percent of the city's industry this is why it was bombed unfortunately The year before the attack, Nagasaki had experienced five small-scale air attacks. They were mostly targeted towards shipyards and the docks. This caused the city to become very concerned as they were also hitting medical centers and hospitals. So they evacuated mostly school children from the city. The population of Nagasaki at the time of the bombing was around 263,000, with 12,500 being Korean people. 600 being Chinese workers and 400 allied prisoners of war. The primary target of the Bok Scar, B-O-C-K-S-C-A-R, which was the B-29 that dropped the bomb. It's a stupid fucking plane, by the way. Flown by, I shit you not, Major Charles Sweeney. (laughs) Was like, like, yeah. Okay. 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 (laughs) Okay. Was Kakura. But the night before, um, a steel plant had its workers set fire to a container of coal tar, releasing black smoke to obscure the plane. So that was their primary target for this bomb, which was the Fat Man bomb. Um, But the city was obscured, so they went to their secondary target, which was Nagasaki. They changed course to Nagasaki and arrived there 20 minutes later at 10.50. The city was covered in clouds, and they were also low on fuel, so they really couldn't go anywhere else to drop the bomb, and decided that they couldn't just not drop the bomb. So they switched to radar to be able to drop the bombs. At the very last second, there was a break in the clouds, and it gave them a visual of the city that they needed to confirm they had the right place, and they dropped the bomb. I forgot to mention this in Hiroshima. It took 44.4 seconds for the bomb to drop. Here, it took 53 seconds for the bomb to explode at 11.02 a.m. 10% of the city uh, population was killed instantly. 35,000 people died, including 2,000 Koreans. I could not find a number for the Chinese population that was killed. The damage um, to the industrial areas was high, um, leaving nearly 80% of the industrial production areas destroyed. The fat man dropped on Nagasaki was actually more powerful than the little boy that was dropped on Hiroshima, but due to the uneven terrain of the city, it actually did less damage. Thank God. Emergency housing wouldn't be provided until 1946, by the way. And the focus was on rebuilding the industrial areas. Um, of course it, it is. Was. Yeah. Oh, fucking course it is. Okay. The city is still a major place for Christianity as temples and churches were both built in the rebuilding of the city. Um, And it remains a port city with a rich shipping industry. They have allowed Christians to be there. Um, There's also a um, Christian, uh, not artifact. There's a like a a Christian, I don't know how to explain it. It's like a building or like a place. It's like a heritage center, but it's um, for like Christian artifacts uh, is there as well. But it's, it's mostly Catholics. 
Alrighty. So, why did they drop the bombs? I just. President motherfucking Truman. I'm coming for you, by the way. I think he's dead. I'm still coming for him. I've never heard President Truman talked about in a good way. Have you? Okay, that I've very rarely never heard, heard of a president talk about it. Yeah, like there are some good and there's some bad for every single president, unless you're Donald J. Trump, and then it's all it's bad. It's all bad. <laughs> the only look, the only good thing he ever did was get arrested. Look, I've I won't it. say that Obama was a perfect president because I wasn't old enough at the time to know what Obama did. But that fucking thanks Obama video that he made about the cookie being too big for the glass was the funniest shit I'd ever seen in my life up to that point in time. I love him for that. That was so fucking funny. Anyway, <clears throat> I remember being I'm not here so... for politics. I'm here for Obama. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I remember non politics, non politically. I love Obama. <laughs> Yeah, I remember being so upset as a kid when he won because he beat out um, Hillary Clinton. And I was like, no, we need a woman president. And then I didn't realize that he was the first black president ever. So, like, elementary school um, psychos. Had was, things to learn. Had several things to learn. Okay. But it was worth it. President oh. motherfucking Truman. God damn. Was aware that Japan had a weak military and they were aware of the amount of deaths that would come from the bomb dropping. He wanted to justify the cost of making the bomb and intimidate enemies uh, current and future to the U.S. strengths. He also wanted to end the war quickly because he knew he could win against Japan and it was inevitable. So, congratulations, you ended up starting a fucking arms race that now led that now led to ooh, some bullshit multiple countries having these god like overpowered weapons that will inevitably end the fucking world because you wanted to show off your big dick i'm sorry continue the scientists who dropped the bombs had a rough idea of what would happen when the bombs were dropped but they were not 100 percent certain of what the fallout was i want to remind you that the bombs were considered unsuccessful I'm very well aware. Because only 1.7% of it reacted. And they were not 100% certain of what the fallout would be. If 100% of it fucking worked. I just really need people to grasp that. The fat man bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki was an implosion type nuclear weapon um, with a solid plutonium core. BT dubs. Roughly 150,000 to 260,000 people died in total from the bombings. To put that into rough perspective, um, roughly 200,000 people died of COVID in the first eight months of the pandemic. That many people were killed in a fraction of a second. By the way, that statistic was not pointed out by me specifically. Someone who survived the bomb pointed that out. On the anniversary of the bombings during COVID-19 in 2020, by the way. Godzilla. Oh, fuck. We're at Godzilla now. I forgot what this part of, I forgot what this was about until you brought up Godzilla because I was just so fucking angry. Godzilla. So, 
some fun information about what happened after the bombings and Japan surrendered. Um, Japan was occupied by the U.S. for about five to seven years, I believe. And during that time, Japan was not allowed to talk about the bombings or mention them at all. Also, the people that died at Nagasaki and Hiroshima were not the first people that died from the atomic bomb. There was actually a testing that had been done um, beforehand that had actually killed the captain of a ship that had accidentally flown into the test or uh, accidentally sailed into the test area. He is considered to be the first victim of the nuclear bombs. Also, if anyone's seen that theory that Bikini Bottom is based off of a radiation site of uh, a nuclear testing place, it's Bikini Atoll. It That's the nuclear place. It was the Lucky Dragon 5 or the fifth Lucky Dragon was the name of the boat. It was a fishing vessel that just happened to sail into the nuclear area by accident. Uh, he died of radiation sickness. Um, he was the only one on his crew who died. It's directly referenced in the movie. Japanese people were not allowed to talk about what happened, um, nor were they allowed the time to grieve um, or even try to explain to anyone what happened. So two of the people that witnessed it and were there, um, or at least somehow were directly connected to the bombings, made Godzilla, um, who was the physical embodiment of the nuclear bombs, which is seen in a lot of what he's able to do. They created Godzilla to conceptualize the fear that they had. And knowing what you know now, dear listeners, go back and watch the 1954 Godzilla movie. Because the sound that he makes is bone chilling when you know the context. From here, we can have fun. I promise. Yes, I promise. Okay, so. Godzilla is the first kaiju movie. This is just about Godzilla in particular. I'll get into the history of kaiju in a second. Godzilla appeared first in the 1945 movie, originally Gojira, G-O-J-I-R-A. It's a word that comes from the combination of the word for gorilla and whale in Japan. Gojira is the original name that the people who created Godzilla wanted it to be called. When Godzilla was adopted by the U.S., which is really fucking ironic knowing the context of why he was made. Um, yeah. His like, name was changed to Godzilla, but Gojira is the original name. Um, and they specifically wanted one of the actors who played in the American adaptation that came out recently. He wanted to call it Gojira as a reference to what is originally called. So that's fun. <laughs> you, you were saying? I just, of course, America would be like, oh, let's take this fun funky looking dinosaur dude that has this fun little power called atomic breath that totally isn't representative of what we did to this country and isn't the physical representation of the trauma that we inflicted and will continue to inflict for generations to come and let's profit off of it i have a rant about that by the way Godzilla itself looks like a giant dinosaur. Dinosaur. Um, it's but it stands on its back legs. It has three rows of dorsal plates going down its back, and it's generally gray in color. Uh, he can be between five hundred to one hundred meters tall and weighs about twenty thousand tons. He spawned from the nuclear waste uh, of uh, nuclear tests rising from the sea to attack Japan. In the original movie, I'm pretty much solely referencing the 1945 movie here. 
in the movie, he is killed with an oxygen destroyer. Um, it's a weapon that basically destroys all of the oxygen molecules and kills whatever's nearby by um, basically brutal asphyxiation. It's terrifying. The weapon in the movie is actually morally troubling, um, just as morally troubling as the atomic bombs that created him. The fishing ship in the very beginning of the movie, if anyone has seen it, that was affected by the um, radiation and all the blasts that were coming from Godzilla is a direct reference to the nuclear test in Bikini Atoll that uh, killed the Lucky Dragon 5 captain and the fishing crew. The original Godzilla possessed these abilities. This is where I couldn't stop laughing. First of all, he had atomic breath, obviously. In the original version, and I'll get back to it later, it's actually steam, but it's been adopted. I showed you Godzilla or Shin Godzilla. I showed you that video. That's his atomic breath. And it is terrifying. That sh- By the way, Shin Godzilla is the most terrifying Godzilla, and I'm not taking criticisms on that. Yeah, I fully agree. However, side note, and this is going to get a little weird. Because, unfortunately, I do know people, not personally, just on the internet, who really, really want to sleep with Godzilla. What the fuck? That is not where I thought your sentence was about to go. (laughs) I'm honestly a little concerned. It's because he can shapeshift. You disgusting furries. I love furries, but not you furries. It's not me. I'm terrified of Godzilla. The way that you said that makes me think... It is you. It's not me, I promise. I- Shin Godzilla is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. It's so scary. Like, you showed me this shit. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Anyone who's seen that movie knows what I'm talking about. That one scene with that song perfectly sums up how I feel about this entire story. It is so fucking heartbreaking. Like, think of that scene that I showed you with that music and the bombing. I know. Like, you asked me to keep that in mind whenever you showed it to me because, like, this was fairly recent, so we're like able to like, have more context. Yeah, have more context, but it's just so God. I know I feel sick. Like genuinely, I feel like I'm about to throw up because that's how I felt last episode. You're welcome. <sighs> I'm repaying it. By the way, shout out to Screen Rant for this little section about his abilities. I uh, just wanted to go ahead and mention that. So they don't get mad at us. So Godzilla had atomic breath. Uh, he had this in the original. And I tried to only reference things that he had in the original. But I, there's a couple things that I did want to mention. The atomic breath resembles a blast of blue fire. He creates it by gathering radioactive energy that's stored in his body. And he blasts it out of his mouth. It can melt through almost anything. And the energy that's emitted is equivalent to that of... Want to take a wild guess? An atomic bomb. You're right. This is the part I cannot stop laughing at. I will send you the photo. He can fly. What? This is not in the original, but I laughed so hard at it that I need you to see the photo that Screen Rant used for the fucking example. Send um, it to me right fucking now. I'm giving it to you coward. right now, I promise. He blasts his atomic breath at the ground and um, flies. So it like launches him up? I need you to look at this photo right now. It's on the Discord. <laughs> what? Is this because I can't say? can't stop laughing at this fucking photo. And I think that's Shin Godzilla too. <laughs> what is this? This will be posted to the Instagram. <laughs> God. the funniest thing fucking- ever. Damn it. He looks like those 
photos of um, pro-lifers. <laughs> no. Like, I need a photo of that. And it just it just says no. um, it just says um uh life starts at conception. <laughs> We're not fucking doing that. It look he looks like an embryo. He looks like a shrimp. <laughs> he does look like just a shrimp launched through the air. So much like a shrimp. What the hell? <laughs> Do you see why that just heard me popped in my head and I couldn't stop laughing last night when we were trying to go to bed? <laughs> No, this okay, is the so funniest thing I've ever seen. Guys, you don't understand it. We were trying so hard to go to sleep last night. And we were serious. We were having a serious conversation too. And out of nowhere, I just burst out laughing. And I'm like wondering if the love of my life has well and truly lost it. And it's just like, I'll tell you tomorrow on the podcast. And I was so concerned. Oh, okay. We're this moving on. So <laughs> it's great photo. <laughs> Um, this is going to be my new profile picture everywhere. <laughs> it's my favorite photo. God, everybody's about to know exactly who we are because this is about to be my new profile picture. Fucking everywhere. Anyway, Godzilla also has regeneration abilities so he can self-heal. Nice. Um, he also has atomic rays. Um, this is not original to the first Godzilla, the 1954 uh, movie, but um, it is what you saw Shin Godzilla do in that video. Um, where he can blast atomic rays out of different parts of his body. Um, also, Godzilla's the biggest psychic in the world. He's literally psychic. The fuck? He's psychic. Apparently, in later movies, it's used to explain why he knows exactly where to be to protect civilization. Um, which I think is just lazy screenwriting. Also, he <laughs> is a nuclear reactor on the verge of collapsing at all times if his heart gets hotter than 12,000 degrees he literally melts down um this does actually me. happen <laughs> this does actually me. happen at some point in one of the movies he does actually have a heart meltdown his heart melts down and he dies um mm. but he either regenerates into Godzilla Jr or is just Godzilla Jr is just born from the ashes much like a phoenix, but a big scaly lizard phoenix. He also has psychic abilities with his son, um, Godzilla Jr., whatever the fuck his name is. And that's how he's able to know where his son is at all times. By the way, Godzilla Jr., whatever the baby version is, cutest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. I know. I love him. So the word kaiju itself um, literally translates to strange beast. The original word for this is found in ancient legends from japan but there's no depictions of the creatures that were referred to as kaiju but the idea of massive creatures is common in most japanese religions after the isolation period of japan the term was used to express the concept of paleontology and legendary creatures from other countries the genre kaiju uh, was created by eji tsuburaya raya i don't know and Honda. I'm just going to call him Honda. Everyone calls him Honda. Edgy and Honda. The term also refers to the monsters themselves, um, and it's a subgenre of science fiction. The 1954 Godzilla film is largely considered to be the first kaiju film, and uh, kaiju are typically metaphors for a force of nature that doesn't usually have a physical form. Um, I've seen later on that it can represent forces of nature, stuff like that. There's that, which I think is what it is in Pacific Rim. It's actually the embodiment of of humans destroying the environment. Yeah, it's um actually like it really is 
that and like basically humans fighting to control nature again after nature is striking back like i think one of the lines literally is in a jaeger you can fight the hurricane yeah or something like that there's that for you I also want to mention that when they were originally coming up with the idea for Kaiju, specifically Godzilla, they did actually reference a movie that was like a monster from the thousand leagues under the sea or some shit like that. I don't remember what the exact thing was, but um, it was another big monster movie that had come out at the time or had just come out that they were like, oh, Godzilla will be profitable. But it was incredibly difficult to find anywhere to work on this project. No one took it seriously, um, which is great. Love that. To film Godzilla, they created a costume for a human to wear. And they would make small-scale cities to give the illusion of a giant monster. The suit itself was around 220 pounds and made from a wooden structure with layers of metal mesh, rubber, and layers of latex. They would also use puppetry to create shots that weren't possible with a human actor. Specifically, ones that were hand puppets uh, for close-up shots and they would have steam coming out of the mouth to uh, emulate the atomic breath of the time also any scenes of tsunamis were done with uh, small-scale villages and it was just basically people that worked on set just dumping tubs of water in and they would just film the small-scale versions of the cities Uh, there was also a lot of composite shots to get those kind of mixes in Mm -hmm. the use of cgi Um, especially in kaiju movies, is really common now. But most of the kaiju movies that come out of Japan actually still hold true to the pseudomation, which is basically the term for using the suit uh, for the monster to create stop motion kind of look. Because of how heavy the suit itself was, um, they actually had to cut it in half. They would use the top half for a good part of the uh, partial shots for Godzilla because they didn't actually show a lot of full body shots of him originally. The bottom half was turned into pants with suspenders, basically, so that they could be worn or not worn, depending on what the shot needed. There was a lighter version of the costume that was full body that was created, but Nakajima, which is the guy who wore the suit, he could only wear it for about three minutes at a time before passing out. Because of how hot it was? Yeah. And also, he was really old. Oh, um, no. Very few scenes of his being the monster actually made it into the final cut because of the physical demand for the suit. So most of the scenes were shot by Katsumi Tezuka, um, who was wearing the suit in place, uh, basically the other stunt double stand-in for him. It kind of reminded me, going through Godzilla and trying to figure out who was wearing the suit at which time makes me think of Scream when you're trying to figure out which killer is wearing the (laughs) Scream suit. So that's a fun game if you want to play with your friends is try to figure out who's wearing the Godzilla suit or when it's a puppet. And that concludes my notes. Oh my god, I'm done with my notes. How's everyone doing? I This is fucking revenge for last episode, by the way. You had no idea what I was doing last episode. And you kind of knew what I was doing this episode, and it still hit you like a ton of bricks. No, because it makes me want to, like... It makes me think of Pacific Rim and the different types of kaiju that they fought. Um, one of them, like like one or two of them, had very similar uh, powers. One of them essentially had an EMP blast, which would knock out everything. Mm-hmm. And that is something that a lot of governments have right now is like the EMP type shit. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder if 
Guillermo. I'm Guillermo. Guillermo. Thank you. What we do in the shadows. Um, <laughs> if Guillermo and Del Toro actually um, did that on purpose, did that on purpose because he Probably. is a magnificent director and everything. And it. God, I really want to rewatch that movie now. We can watch it think? tomorrow. Yeah, do you think we can pause and we watch it before I go? No, because it's two o'clock in the morning and we still have to finish your section and then go to bed. Yeah. Goodness gracious. I, at least I have therapy tomorrow. I'm so glad that I can just now sit back and listen to the story that I'm so excited to hear about. You're welcome, by the way, everyone who's listening to this, that I requested this masterpiece for you to listen to. Okay, <laughs> so... This is not going to be set up like my other episodes because, because it's better. Because it's so much better. Because as of right now, according to literally everything, there is no actual evidence that this even happened. Which is a lie. It totally happened. It totally exists. And it's my entire personality. Yes. According to you. And I Just me. You. And that's all that matters. And I love you so, so very much, which is why I'm doing this. Thanks. Is it a long one? Um, it's, uh, kind of. Mine was like five pages. I don't know how many pages this is because I'm on my phone. Because I've been reading <gasps> my notes from my phone. Fair enough. I should have probably done that. What I'm about to tell you is either the greatest unsolved mystery of, um, post-World War II. Like, just after World War II. Or the biggest grift anybody's ever had. I'll let you guys decide. What the, the way, fuck is a grift? A con. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Got you. So, are you ready? I'm so Today, ready. I'm okay. so ready. I'm so ready. <laughs> Today I'm telling you the story of the Orang Medan, a legendary ghost ship that nobody knows the truth behind. Yes. So. I'm so jazzed. I'm so jazzed. I'm going to lay down. I'm so jazzed. Okay. Um, please don't fall asleep. <laughs> please don't I'm fall not, asleep. I'm, laying, I'm leaning on my elbows. Okay. So at some point. Can you see me right now? I cannot. Let me lean back for a second. <laughs> oh, God. That's terrifying. <laughs> okay. Oh, Would you like you... to tell the audience what you just saw? So I just saw uh, Mythos leaning forward on the bed, arms, like, elbows propped up, like, with their um, chin in their hands, just, like, staring at me. Oh, wait, here. Now look. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Okay. I'm so excited. So... Sometime in the late 40s, in the Straits of Malacca, which is a part of the ocean that connects Indonesia, Malaysia, and Singapore, there was a ship known as the Silver Star. What they heard was a SOS signal. There was, of course, the typical SOS, but then there was a message that came with it. And this was the message. We float all officers, including Captain Dead, lying in chart room and on bridge probably whole crew dead i die and the silver star never heard anything from this mystery ship again yes. they were able to track it 
to the Straits and got there fairly quickly. But this was about a 500 mile long shipping route that was very busy and had been in use since the 1700s. So it is a very large area. Mm-hmm. But the Silver Star was able to trace, not necessarily trace it, but get to the uh, area from which it came very quickly. Mm-hmm. An officer aboard the Silver Star would later recall that the Silver Star played a relay role of sorts in that they would pass messages they received from the ship to the different medical stations. The message I read was by no means the only message they received from this ghost ship, but it was the last. Previous messages called for both medical and warship assistance, but neither of these would be available to the crew of the ship. I did not know this. Yes. I'm learning. Once the Silver Star arrived, 16 hours after accepting the role of basically savior to the ship where they agreed to like go check it out, they arrived to see the Orang Medan dead in the water. Yes. There was no movement, no steam, and no signs of life that could be seen from the Silver Star. Me too. <laughs> Sorry. I love you. Never change. <laughs> Our search party headed over to the Orang Medan and found something straight out of a horror movie. Which, side note, this would be a perfect horror movie. It is. I think it would be. At Markiplier? Markiplier already played the game. But he hated it. We all did. Let's be real here. We'll discuss it later. And the search party would find the crew, all deceased. They were frozen in a state of rigor mortis almost. But it wasn't rigor mortis because rigor mortis actually doesn't last very long. And it doesn't result in the fear responses in the body. Everybody on board looked like they had died in the middle of screaming or trying to fight off whatever had killed them. Me. There was a dog on board who had died in the middle of growling at whatever force had killed them all. But there was nothing there that the search party could find. The search party would also only find about between 12 and 20 bodies whenever they estimated that the Orang Medan should have had at least 40 though many sources don't actually list a death toll or even an estimate. Mm. Not that they had much time to begin with anyway. They couldn't even recover the bodies um, of the dead before the ship began smoking from the cargo hold, specifically hold number four. Oh, I'm learning new things. They had initially um, intended to tow it back. And in some sources, according to some sources, they had managed to hook it up. But either they had to cut it or they couldn't hook it up before the Orang Medan exploded and sank, leaving no physical trace of its existence but the haunting memory that would resound throughout the world of maritime storytelling and would result in, my opinion, one of the biggest mysteries of the ocean. And the worst video games of all time. Hell yeah. Is that it? Is that everything or is there more? Um, that was the beginning. <gasps> that was just the beginning? That was just the beginning. That's all I know. And now we are getting into the history. Yes. I'm really jazzed if y'all can't tell. This is my favorite thing. So, flashing back, we're going to start with this. The Orang Medan translates to Man of Medan. It is a Dutch freighter. Oh. During Dutch, like it was Dutch occupation of the Indies. So that's why it's Dutch. Mm -hmm. But with a, I think, Indonesian name. Mm -hmm. This takes place... According to some sources, in either 1947 or 1948. Mm-hmm. And here automatically begins 
my first kind of red flag. This is after World War II, which is as important as we um, are now in the beginning of the Cold War, Mm -hmm. which can ultimately set this up to be a great propaganda piece from the get-go or was an act that was ultimately brushed under the rug for the purposes of peace. Nuclear Uh weapons are no joke, and with the Orangmadan sinking and taking with it valuable evidence, it's likely that the Orangmadan just wasn't worth it. Again, just theories that we will later get into. Now, over the years, as with many stories where evidence is lacking or fully non-existent, the Orangmadan has had several versions, and we will go through some of these. As far as we know, the Orangmadan actually never existed on paper. There's no shipping records and no credible sources that have come forward with stories of serving on the Orang Medan. There was an quote-unquote official report from a Coast Guard, but from the Coast Guard, but that publication was less of a report and more of a tabloid type situation. We'll touch more on that later. There was an also an unclassified letter in 2003 that was addressed to the assistant to the director of the CIA from a man named C.H. Mark Jr. This letter was written in December of 1959 and urged the CIA to investigate the Orang Medan. <gasps> You're fucking kidding me. I'm sorry. I know I just came really loud out of nowhere, but I did not know that at all. Is that true? That is true. Is that like a verified letter? Like it's it true? It's a verified letter. It was unclassified. Shut the fuck up. It was classified in 2000, unclassified in 2003. It was declassified in 2003. Holy shit, I'm gonna shit my pants. I'm so excited. We'll get on, we'll get touch more on that later. But we've also noticed the inconsistent dates. However, the place has also significantly changed over the course of history as well. I've told the story as a, ver- as a version that took place in the Straits of Malacca. However, there are stories that have placed the Orangmadan in the Solomon and Marshall Islands. Another inconsistency is the fact that there are between one to two ships that actually attended the Orangmadan. The Silver Star and the City of Baltimore. The City of Baltimore? The entire City of Baltimore? No, that's just the name of the ship. Who the fuck names a ship the city of Baltimore? That's like naming a ship the city of Atlanta or the city of New York or the city of Houston. That's that's stupid. Anyway, both of these ships existed, but they were named as early as 1952 and 1955, respectfully, which is a problem. As we'll find out soon, very few sources ever actually mentioned the city of Baltimore with a lot of people feeling as if adding the ship to the story was an afterthought just to give it more credence. I hate this ship. As for the Silver Star, she was actually built in 1942, but actually was named the Santa Cecilia, only going by Silver Star for um, the year of 1946 before reverting back to Santa Cecilia. Which, if you go back... Um, This takes place in either 1947 or 1948. So by this point, the Santa Cecilia would have already reverted back to that. The Silver Star would not have been known as the Silver Star at that point. Got you. The first known mention was by Estelle Hargreaves, who had found that British officers actually make reference to a story quite similar to the Orang Medan, but it's not quite the same as the most common iteration. For one, it takes place during World War II and involves a British ship coming to check on the Orang Medan and not the Silver Star. Also, there wasn't a dog involved, so whatever ha- would have done this would have 
wasn't exactly a complete monster because, you know, no dog. But the ending remained the same. The Oring Medan exploded and sank, leaving nothing behind but a story. This story would be published by two English publications in November of 1940, claiming that the Orang Medan sank in 1939. Wait, wait. One more time? This story would be published by two English publications in November of 1940, claiming that the Orang Medan actually sank back in 1939. But you said that the original story took place nine years in the future? I said that's one of the stories. The fuck? I am confusion. Okay. I'm so confused. I like it. Continue. Theory one. This is where we start to get into the theories. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, I'm so ready. The first theory of what could have happened was presented by Silvio Shirley, a reporter for the Di Lokomotif, a Dutch-Indonesian newspaper. Uh-huh. He isn't necessarily the most trustworthy of sources, as he, like many reporters in general, liked to exaggerate certain aspects of stories. Fucking reporters. Sorry. The unfortunate thing is, thing here is that we don't have the records to check against Shirley's writings to see what differences may arise. In 1948, Shirley um, reported that the Orang Medan was traveling to Costa Rica from an unspecified port in China carrying illegal cargo, which was sulfuric acid. Allegedly, Shirley's source for this story was the sole survivor of the Orang Medan, a German who was discovered badly injured on, pardon my pronunciation, Taungji Atoll in the Marshall Islands. This survivor, quote-unquote, claimed that the sulfuric acid was mishandled and the fumes were the cause of the crew's death as well as the explosion. This German would eventually succumb to his injuries shortly after. Amazing. There is a major problem with this source, however. Shirley did not get this information firsthand from the German survivor. He allegedly got this tale from an Italian missionary who claimed to be the one who helped the survivor and was the one the survivor told all of this to. So, this is secondhand information, first and foremost. And then on top of that, there's the problem of the story being translated a few times by the time it hits the press. So, details and such can get pardon the pun lost in translation quite literally (laughs) so we have no idea the credibility of this recollection or how accurate the translations were to begin with Mm -hmm. and then on top of that shirley was reporting in the area where the very first orang medan report originated which in my opinion is extremely um, suspicious then, unfortunately, we also run into the fact that the Tiangi or Tianji Atoll was reportedly uninhabited during this time. So, an Italian missionary would have no reason to be in that location at the time. Hmm. According to Michael East, a history and true crime writer, there may have been a ship that sank in mysterious circumstances, but beyond that, everything else in the story of the Aring Medan may just be that, a story. Another source, Decoding the Unknown, also posits the idea that this story could have been Shirley's attempt to create an urban legend as he is consistently the one to report on it throughout the years. He was also one of the original um, writers of the November 1940 articles. Mm-hmm. Theory two. I'm so... Aliens. Sorry. 
Aliens. Aliens. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it. <gasps> yes. Not yet, though. Oh, God damn it. Okay, theory two. Jerry Rabbit's story. <laughs> okay. Allegedly, 10 days after the Orang Medan sank, Jerry Rabbit, the alleged second officer of the Orang Medan, was discovered on Taungi. I have my own theory that the source I used for this section was just a more detailed account of the report that Shirley put out, but enough details between the two sources were different enough that I felt comfortable listing this as a second theory as to what happened. Mm -hmm. It is entirely possible that I'm about to retell the first theory, but with more detail, but that is the thing about the Orang Medan. The base story most of the time is the same, but the details change very frequently. Mm -hmm. Now is a fun time to mention that one of the distress calls received by the Silver Star claimed that the second officer was more than likely dead. So you'll see why I have my suspicions about this story. Mm -hmm. And then there's a little note that says, so here's the fun thing, past psychos. You were totally fucking right. The survivor from the previous theory slash story was never identified. Amazing. So here we get into it. So Rabbit was hired in Shanghai for this voyage with absolutely no background checks or due diligence whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So Rabbit figured he must have gotten lucky, brand new job with next to no lying on a resume type thing. Mm-hmm. So like, hey, I didn't have to lie to get this job. Nice. Fun. Mm-hmm. But this quickly turned into suspicion when the Orang Medan began to stop at multiple ports along the Chinese coast to pick up cargo, the contents of which were unknown to him at the time and then leaving for Costa Rica. Mm. Jerry Rabbit quickly arrived at the conclusion that this was a smuggling operation. Up until this point, this does feel very similar to Theory 1, just more detailed, but it diverges a bit more as the previous source does not list any of what I am about to talk about next. Yes. Now, Rabbit overheard some of the crew complaining about cramps and fatigue, which for most people is pretty standard, I would think. You know, like a lot of people feel cramps in various parts of their bodies and fatigue is very normal for people. Mm -hmm. But Rabbit um, went and told the captain, which is protocol, I would assume anyway, and the captain dismissed this and basically told Rabbit off for wasting the captain's time. Like, how dare you? This doesn't mean anything. Me too. A few days later, though, a man died, and when Rabbit looked at the cause of death, the captain had input the cause of death as a heart attack, which kind of rubbed Rabbit the wrong way. So he went snooping and discovered that the cargo was, among other things, sulfuric acid, cyanide, and nitroglycerin. Not nitroglycerin. Yeah. No. Rabbit noted the rising death toll as well as the cargo, clocked it as a very serious situation for anyone to be in, stole the logbook from the captain, and with six other men, stole a lifeboat and abandoned ship. Amazing. Again, and yet another source, he claimed that he abandoned ship because he was afraid that the ship would explode. I mean, like, fair point, but, like, also, I'm glad that he picked his six homies and left. And, like, just didn't care about the rest of the crew. Oh, we're about to get into it. (gasps) No. Jerry, no. (laughs) By the end of his journey, the six crewmates had died and Rabbit (gasps) alone survived long enough to tell his story before he died of exhaustion. Well, that's convenient. Wait, he died of exhaustion? 
Yes. Me fucking too, dude. Every fucking night. It's called sleep. Get over yourself. <laughs> Sorry. By the end of his journey, the six crewmates died. And oh, of yeah, I already did that. Cannibalism. Probably. Which is nice and all, but Rabbit claimed to have stolen the logbook from the captain of the Orang Medan, and no such logbook has ever been recovered. He's a liar. However, Rabbit's story does lend credence to the theory that the Orang Medan was not just a simple cargo ship as the stories often make her out to be. If a ship were to be transporting this cargo during this time frame, it would make sense as to why she was not on any of the records. However, this does not account for why the Silver Star also does not have any records of the Orang Medan. Now it's time for some quick time theories. These oh, aren't yes. these aren't super detailed, and we'll get into it somewhat briefly. Mm-hmm. Carbon monoxide poisoning. Mm-hmm. It's likely that the fire that caused the Orang Medan to explode and sink was smoldering for a while undetected. One of the main risks with an unknown fire is the gases in the smoke that is released. One of these gases is carbon monoxide poisoning. According to Focus Medica and the Mayo Clinic, carbon monoxide poisoning can cause hallucinations, visual disturbances, and heart palpitations. This could mean that the um, crew aboard the uh, Orangmadan died of carbon monoxide poisoning, and it can look like it died from fear. However, it kind of falls apart once you realize that there are people, there were bodies found on the deck of the ship in the wide. The wide open. Wide open, where it, mm-hmm. the carbon monoxide would not kind of compress there. Mm-hmm. Theory, quick time theory number two, a pirate attack. Oh, pirates. Um, no, not Blackbeard. Blackbeard has been long since dead. Yeah. Some theorists believe that the Orang Medan may have been attacked by pirates, but the bodies, as seen by the witnesses, were not injured or mutilated by any means. So that kind of rules that one out very quickly. Yeah. Quick time theory number three. Hazardous materials. This theory mentions chemicals like potassium cyanide and nitroglycerin, which is, again, backed up by Jerry Roberts' account. This theory posits that seawater entered the hold, which would make chemicals release toxic gas that would cause asphyxiation and poisoning. It would also make sense with the explosion given that nitroglycerin is extremely explosive. These um, chemicals were likely given to the U.S. after Japan lost the war. Speaking of Japan, in fact, Unit 731 was highly involved with these chemicals during World War II during, due to being the base Japanese unit for chemical warfare. These chemicals were banned by the Geneva Convention and would further lead credence to the idea that transporting these chemicals should be as secretive as possible, leading to the hiring of officers such as Jerry Rabbit, the lack of evidence the ship ever made port, and the lack of physical evidence within the Silver Star's logbook. Mm-hmm. So it was an inside job? More than um, kind of. I will get further into Unit 731's crimes at a later time. Mm-hmm. Not tonight. Not tonight. I don't have the energy for that. Mm-hmm. Neither of us do. Yeah, we're almost done. Mm-hmm. Finally, aliens. Yes. So, no. I personally don't believe what happened aboard the Yoring Medan and the Silver Star to be a result of alien activity. I Homophobic. Believe, I do believe in aliens. I don't believe this is their result of alien activity fair point i guess 
The deaths did not have any physical causes that the Silver Star rescue crew could see, and that has led many people to suspect that aliens were involved. Mm-hmm. However, going back to our friend C.H. Mark Jr., remember his little letter to the CIA? Mm-hmm. Well, in his letter, it makes numerous references to the unexplainable phenomena in the area and claims that the Orang Medan could hold the key to solving the mysteries that included reported UFO and USO sightings in the area. What does USO stand for? Unidentified submersive, submersible or submersive um, object. It's the... Oh, shit. They found the Titan back then? That's a terrible joke. <laughs> Oh, I hated that. <laughs> um, anyway, but like he fully believed that. My personal theory, though. Ooh. I do believe that the Orang Medan existed. <gasps> yes. Um, Got him, boys. My theory is very much in line with the popular one that the Orang Medan was transporting chemicals banned by the Geneva Convention and due to a lack of safety protocol aboard the ship, the chemicals leaked, causing mass um, hallucinations and hysteria. This would also lead to mass heart attacks and poisonings as the paranoia and hallucinations would continue to get worse. You can be scared to death, and in my opinion, the Orang Medan um, crew suffered that same fate. Mm-hmm. The Orang Medan... Um, leaves behind a legacy of mystery and intrigue as deep and as wide as the ocean that claimed her in the 1940s. There's no way to say for certain whether or not she existed. There are many theories in both opinions. The lack of a shipwreck and physical evidence is very compelling, but the retelling of what happened and the idea that there may be multiple witnesses in regards to the event who never stepped forward is overwhelming to say the least. There is absolutely no way to know what happened that fateful day, nor what happened to her crew. But regardless of whether or not it truly happened, it still makes for an excellent case. It's a good story. It really is. Oh my um, goodness. I'm sorry I didn't talk much during that, everyone. Um, but you set that up perfectly like a bedtime story. And I am so happy about that. That's so good. I'm I'm sorry. I just love this fucking ship so much. Yeah. I like ghost ships so much. So, um, however... The lack of shipwreck, though, I'm down with my notes, and this was just me talking off the cuff, um, mm. is not necessarily good or bad. Um, there are ships, sh- like shipwrecks from hundreds and hundreds of years ago that are still continuously being recovered, and it is quite possible that we might be able to find her one day. It would be really interesting if we did. It, it would, would be, be really, really interesting if we did. I would as, love to find that ship. Yeah, as mentioned before, this also um, inspired a video game called Man of Medan. By Which sucks ass, by the way. It's a terrible it was- game. It really is. It's by the same people who did Until Dawn, which was incredibly disappointing, all things considered. Until Dawn was so good. And Man of Medan sucked ass, dude. Yeah, and it's talked about manchurian gold which was a type of chemical which um Mm -hmm. instead of placing it in like the asian waters put it more in the american waters Mm -hmm. even though it was technically international um Mm -hmm. so they did change a lot of things to make it more americanized which is stupid i'm so tired of american doing that yeah oh my god i totally forgot about my freaking rant about the u.s and godzilla We'll get to it. 
We'll, we'll go back to that. We'll go back to it. Um, it's just really, really bad because I promise you those chemicals would not have stuck around. Okay, more than likely, my opinion, I don't think they would have stuck around that much and that ship would not have floated for that long without being discovered. I think it was a sea monster. I think they were scared to death by a sea monster. <laughs> Which sea monster do you think it was? I think you were attacked by a sea god. Probably, maybe. We have no idea. We don't know. We have no idea. But that's my case. And I... Like, it was fun to do. Like, it's technically unsolved. So we have no fucking idea whether or not it actually happened or not. I really Um, hope that's an update in the future. And if it did, it does constitute war crimes because they were transporting things that went directly against the Geneva Convention. So many things have happened that are currently against the Geneva, the, the fucking Geneva Convention. That I'd... yeah. Wait, do you remember um, God the TikTok that talked about the clown, like the goats clown that pops up in that one D and D group occasionally? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I think about and that. He story. talks about the fucking Geneva Convention as like a oh. list of like a to do list. Yeah. No, I think he says it's a it's more of a recommendation. Yeah. I love Something it. like so. that. Oh my god, it's so freaking funny. God, I love that so much. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. I love this goddamn clown. Thank you for the ghost ship bedtime story. That's actually perfect to end today. Thank yeah. you. And of course that was a request, a very special request from Mythos. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Um, really quickly, I got a fucking rant about the U.S. real fast. So when I was looking up the information for Godzilla, I was really trying to focus on the original 1954 Godzilla. And for some reason, there's just no fucking information about it. Because if you type in Godzilla, you get the 2014 American remake of it. Gross. And here's the fucking thing that pisses me off. So when the first original Godzilla movie was brought over to the U.S., it wasn't brought over for like a good long while. And when it was brought over, they actually cut scenes out of the movie and added in um, a U.S. character to make it more appealing to American audiences, which is disgusting. Um, the U.S. has pretty much rocketeered. Rocketeered? They've stolen Godzilla and turned it into some bullshit. Oh, and so they co-opted Godzilla. Yeah, they co-opted Godzilla. But if you look up any information about Godzilla, you pretty much only exclusively find information about the 2014 Godzilla moving forward into the, I think a new one came out like in 2022. It was so hard to find information about the original Godzilla movie. And it obviously referenced the bombings, um, but there's just not a lot of information about the first movie. There's a good amount of information about the other ones. And there is an overwhelming amount of information about 2014 one, which I'm going to be honest, I do not fucking care about. Um, it's probably because they flooded the market. The, probably. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I I didn't watch the new Godzilla movie. Um, but I did watch a review of the Godzilla movie. And from what I can tell, it's really fucking confusing. Because the whole idea is to not use nuclear power. But then they do suddenly use nuclear power and everyone's okay with it. And I really, 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 really personally hate that the U.S. has, like, taken over 
Godzilla. But I also now understand why Godzilla is such a huge thing in Japan. I never understood that. Like, you can buy a Godzilla statue on, like, Animal Crossing. Um, There's also, like, a bunch of statues of Godzilla all over Japan. And I never understood why. And now I kind of get it. It was a symbol of something that they couldn't talk about. They could talk about it. And not only did they talk about it, but it became a huge franchise that actually really, really assisted and helped Japan. It makes a lot of money. Um, so I'm happy for Japan that they were able to have that. Um, I really yeah, hope that the survivors them. get, you know, whatever they need um, for having to witness the worst thing to happen um, to a city like that. I can't even imagine the only times that nuclear bombs have ever been used on civilians and they're given not that much of recognition and the fact that we are taught that it was a an amazing thing for the u.s to do like they they murdered civilians absolutely they it's, i mean and let's I'm... just be real here oppenheimer assisted in committing two very heinous war crimes yeah let's just be real fucking honest here they specifically targeted civilians yeah i am very happy that they have found a way to express their trauma in this way i know how hard it like even on just a personal scale how hard it can be to find something that lets somebody get through their own trauma so having this like national symbol of this massive trauma that they all experienced is phenomenal and i'm kind of pissed that america went yoink i make this about me pissed but not surprised um i did also um because at some point i was really curious about it because i remembered a lot of studio ghibli movies um have to do with bombing a lot of them yeah, a lot of them do deal with heavily with bombing and war. And so I was curious about that because I was like, oh, who's the dude that creates these movies? Um, I wonder if he was affected by these bombings. He was not directly affected by the bombings of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. However, when he was four years old, the city that he lived in was bombed and he had to move out. Um, his mother died in the hospital when he was very young and he was horribly depressed um he also struggled heavily with what he witnessed as a small child from the bombing um despite the fact that he survived so while studio ghibli isn't directly like the creator i can't remember his name um i know his last name is like miyazaki yeah while he wasn't directly affected by the bombings of hiroshima and nagasaki he was a victim of the air raids that went on which makes a lot of sense given a lot of the movies that he's produced probably yeah. *Grave of the Fireflies* and um, I believe in *Howl's Moving Castle* is heavily centered around war, um, the war, and then bombings and all that stuff. So um, it's very, very, very tragic, and I am very happy to see people um, coping with the horrible things that happened to Japan in such beautiful ways. At least when it comes to cinematography and um, movies. Um, and you know just crafts in general of what they've done um, and it sucks and I know that the odds of anyone who survived or anyone who's related to a survivor is watching this are very very low but if anyone is listening to this who was directly or even indirectly affected by the bombings of Nagasaki and Hiroshima and all of the air raids that happened in Japan 
during World War II, specifically ones that were targeted at civilians for no fucking reason. I am so sorry for what the U.S. did to you and what you had to witness and what it has done to your people and the generations that have followed you in your family and not in your family because it is honestly one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever read and it's not even the worst thing the U.S. has done. Not it's not the worst thing anything any country's done. It's not the worst thing. But um, it's hard. <laughs> so it really is. I hope that my presentation of the orangutan lived up to your expectation. You talked about it at all, and I am thoroughly impressed. (laughs) (laughs) The bar is on the ground. Yeah, so those types of cases will be few and far in between. Mm -hmm. So I will try not to be as heavy, but when talking about true crime anything, it is very difficult to not be because most of it so often does involve some degree of death and dying. Yeah. There are no victimless crimes anywhere, but I think after next episode, I will try to do a palate cleanser case where nobody dies. You could just do, if I may put in an offer for you, Hmm. if I had the ability to offer you a case that involved some sort of psychosis... But was silly and goofy, would you do it? Because boy, do I have a Roman emperor for you. God damn it. <laughs> Psychosis doesn't always have to be sad. You can <laughs> make fun of a Roman emperor who made his horse part of government and waged war on Poseidon and supposedly won. Just saying. I have to look at his crimes against the Roman emperor. He or is empire. A crime. He is a crime. His existence is a crime. crime. Does it just have to be crime? Because I thought your whole thing was psychosis. It just has to be. No. um, Psychosis is actually very difficult. Uh, Psychosis um, psychosis is actually short for psychology in general. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, It just has to be psychology related, right? It can be. I I got you, fam. We'll find some good and the bad. Yeah. We'll look and into we'll it. We'll find some bad in the good, and we'll I, shoot it with a gun. <laughs> I do need to look at a certain case in Australia that involves a bank robbery and Santa Claus. So I'm sorry, Santa robbed a bank and didn't tell me. <laughs> well, let me let me look into it because that is something I might want to hang on to for maybe a holiday type episode. Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway. I'll see you next week. Hope you enjoyed it. I didn't. <laughs> I did not enjoy the first bit. The Thank last you. bit was f- the last bit was fun to record. Oh. oh, how the turn tables! And then we're gonna be right back at it again next time. I'll see you soon. You do the outro, man. Keep learning. Stay safe. And good night. Fuck Oppenheimer.